Are you aware that one day you will give an account for how you lived your life for God on earth? But what exactly does that look like? How are we to make sure that we are doing the things that God has called us to do so we can receive our praise for Him one day when we stand face to face with Him? That's exactly what we're going to be talking about today's podcast. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you. Blessed to be with you as always as we are here to study 1 Corinthians chapter 3 together. The title is, You Will Give an Account to God. I mean, let that sink in. You will give an account to God. Now, let me ask you, if you have ever conducted an interview with someone that you're looking to hire, right? That could be even intimidated, intimidating for you as the employer, but what about as an employee? Have you ever given an interview and it was brutal and you weren't really prepared and your palms were sweaty and your forehead was sweaty and you're nervous and you couldn't eat before uh, the interview and you really wanted that, whether you were trying to get into a university or trying to get your dream job. But can you imagine that pales in comparison, my friends, when it comes to you and I standing before Jesus Christ one day, God himself, and we will give an account of our life on earth. Well, this is podcast 223, where we pick things up from where we left off. And that was what rewards will you receive? And we looked at in verses five and eight. So let me just do this. Let me just go back to verse five, and then I'm going to read into this portion on today's podcast, verses 10 through 15 to kind of give us some proper context here. And as always, if you've missed any previous podcasts, you can always go to standstrongministries.org, click on the podcast there, the tab, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, They are there uh, for your leisure. So let's jump back here in verse five, where it says, what then is Apollos? What is a Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth Remember, we talked about what that meant was that he causes things to grow. He gives the increased. Uh, It's in the eros tense indicative mood. It's an active voice. So God does the past working and he performs the current and future work, right? So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. So remember, as a farmer's reward is the harvest, the phrase that Paul's using here, receive his wages, is translated in the Greek as myth, mythos. And it refers to compensation or payment uh, for the work that is done by a servant. So that's exactly what we're going to be talking about as we dive now into verses 10 through 15, is that we are servants. We are given a task. And some of you guys, it's called, you know, you're called to cultivate, plant. And some of you guys are called to be the ones who come to water. And some of you are called to maintain the harvest, okay? And as a pastor for well over 25 years almost, it's it, 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 I've played all, all of these different roles. I haven't been perfect, perfect in all of them. But certainly been times where in ministry, God has called my wife and I to come in to cultivate 
and there's been times where we are to plant and there's times that we do the watering and then there's times we walk into ministries where we are to help maintain that harvest, okay? Um, And so that's the compensation, the payment from a servant. So we're gonna be talking about that as a servant of Christ, you will give an account. So in that context that we just left off with this mythos, he was describing this future reward that awaits every single Christian, okay? So my question before you right now is how faithful, how obedient are you and how you're serving God? What kind of rewards are you gonna earn? Not through human merit, not through your personal accomplishments, but remember we saw in verse seven, God is the one who gives the increase. And before we dive into verses 10 through 15, again, we see in this passage that God is the one who will reward us. So he wants to take care of you, my friends. He wants to acknowledge the work that you've done for him. Not that you get the glory because only God gets the glory. But this is important. So now as we dive into verse nine, where Paul says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, you're God's building. So Paul, what he's doing here now, he's transitioning, remember, from utilizing an Old Testament imagery of God planting, as we just saw in verses five through eight. And then what he's what he's wanting to do here is um, he wants to refer to us as God building us, the church. And this is imagery that's in Jeremiah 18, verse 7. Jeremiah 24, verse 6, Jeremiah 31, verse 28, and Jeremiah 45, verse 4. Here's what's amazing. When you you see where it's allocated in Jeremiah, the book, and you see this language, you are God's filled, God's building, and you see how this is in reference to the fulfillment of the church today as he's writing 1 Corinthians here, thousands of years prior to Jeremiah, it's like Paul, again, who he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was very well trained in the law and the prophets. And he's citing and he's showing the fulfillment from Jeremiah to 1 Corinthians. The New King James Version Spirit-Filled Bible says, the image of the people as a building under construction highlights the responsibility of church leaders to be faithful to the part of God that gives them the ministry of the gospel. Ministers are like building contractors with restricted permits to build only on the prescribed foundation. We're going to see that in verses 10 and 11. The commentary goes on to say, in architecture, originality goes into the floor plan. So in the gospel, no man has authored original revelation, but only God in the Father's wise plan. Through the Son's willing obedience and by the Holy Spirit's powerful working so you and i as servants of god we are his field we are his building we are remember fellow workers we are not the architects we're contractors we got to stay in our lane my friends so many pastors making it about themselves god is the one who who designed the floor plan it's his revelations his wise plan And it's through Jesus Christ's obedience to the cross to restore us back to him that we may be sanctified through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the triune Godhead. The masterful plan of us is the Trinity. 
So this imagery of building and, and construction in 1 Corinthians 3, this is important because what it does is it conveys several important theological truths that we need to, to make sure we understand before we go any further. And this will help us understand what you and I should be doing to advance the kingdom of God as we love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love, love our neighbor as ourselves. And again, as we're abiding in him, John 15, 5, knowing that his commandments are not burdensome, as the apostle John goes on to say in 1 John. So the first thing we have to emphasize is the importance of a strong foundation. We don't create that. Paul writes that, again, no foundation has been made in Christianity other than that which is Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in verse 11. He's underscoring the centrality of Christ in the life of the church. He's talking that talking about the foundation is so crucial because remember it determines notice the stability and also the durability of the building. That only comes through Jesus. So you can have vision, you know, you could be a talented speaker, so what? The foundation is Christ. The church can be built on the solid foundation, is only built on the solid foundation of faith in Christ. It's built on the prophets and the apostles' doctrine, Ephesians 2, verse 20. Now, the second thing is this imagery of building and construction highlights the collaborative nature of ministry. Because what Paul's describing, you know, here is that, that you know, himself and also Apollos, remember, because that's a whole divide. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. He's like, no, we're working together to build up the church. So stop trying to divide us. Stop trying to think it's Paul's team versus Apollo's team. Think about the denominational lines. Think about the celebrity pastors. Think about like, you know, I'm of, you know, fill in the blank, the latest YouTuber person, TikTok person, celebrity pastor person, New York Times bestselling author. That's not what builds up the church. The imagery of building and construction is highlighted based on the collaborative nature of ministry. So my friends, that is an aspect of where you and I are going to be judged, how we work together. Because ultimately it's God who gives the growth in our obedience to surrender to him, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. So this underscores the importance of unity. We're going to be judged whether we united people or we divided we are to share a common goal. We're to, sh- we're, we're to be committed to fulfilling the mission of Christ. That's the great commission. Mark 16, 15, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And the third imagery of building and construction points to the ongoing nature of the church's mission. And that's so important because this is Paul saying, hey, look, the church is an organization, but it's an organism as well. And each member representing the body of Christ, so there's diversity, but in unity. This underlines the idea that the work that the church does is never finished. So you could be a hand, I could be a knee, you could be a thigh, somebody else could be the stomach. But we work together in unison for the health of the body. And our work is not finished. So the question is, is have you given up? Have you, have you given up on what God has called you to do? And there's always more that could be done. So I want to tell you that right here, right now on the podcast, there's more that could be done to advance the kingdom of God. Are you willing to do it? Are you lazy? Are you in volitional sin? Are you doubting too much? 
Are you feeling defeated because you're tired because you've been doing a lot, but you've been doing it in your own strength? We're going to be judged, my friends, for how we have used the spiritual gifts and how we've built on the foundation of Christ, if at all. Sadly, there's a lot of Christians who haven't. So this overall imagery of building construction in 1 Corinthians 3, it is a powerful reminder of the essential role that Christ plays as the chief cornerstone, as Peter likes to say, and how we are to collaborate in our work together to continue to fulfill the Great Commission. So where are you at in that process? Where are you at in that process? So now as, as we jump to verse 10, where it says, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. Notice, I laid a foundation. You say, oh, he just contradicted himself. I thought only God lays a foundation. Well, listen to what he says. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds it. So let's unpack this. Because it seems like there's a contradiction. In one sense, it's only Christ that is the, is the foundation. So what he's saying is that God gives the increase, God lays a foundation through us. But the foundation isn't what Paul says. The foundation he's laying down as a skilled master builder, as a contractor, is Jesus Christ. That's his message. And he does this by reaffirming the grace, the Greek word is keros, which means the divine power of God given to him as an apostle, where he's called to preach and to build up the faith of Christ in his followers. Okay? So the faith of Christ, the message itself, and the people who put their faith and trust in that message. So as a skilled master builder, this is the Greek word sophos, and it's used of a skilled craftsman who built the tabernacle. So now he's using imagery of when you look in the Old Testament and you're seeing in Exodus 35 verse 10 and Exodus 36, 1, 4, and 8, and you're seeing this mentioning of these skilled master builders who were putting together the, with great mastery and detail the tabernacle. Paul is saying that is the due diligence. That is the type of skill and care and delicacy and passion that we have to build up the church. Question, because we're going to be judged accordingly. Are you taking that much care and attention and time and what God has called you to do? You know, there's a lot of times when I look back, my friends, if I'm open and honest with you, that I just did things in the flesh. I did things, I get into routine, you get into a rut. And I, I didn't really bring a lot of care. Matter of fact, there were a lot of times where I just felt rushed. And I never want to do that when it comes to this podcast. I never want to do that when it comes to the blessed opportunity I'm given to preach anywhere um, at a church or a conference to deliver messages that God has called me to do. I don't want to rush through uh, the books that I write I want to take my time as a skilled master builder. I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to be held accountable. I'm going to stand before God one day and give an account. Was I a skilled master builder? Was I laying a foundation that was honorable of the Lord? Was I caring how I was building it? And that really specifically and more personally is involved in the lives of people. Do I care enough to be with people, to love them and to cherish them? You know, Paul alludes to the urban development of the colony. If you go back to 44 BC, roughly, you know, he's going back to this colony that's being built back then. And he's using it as a picture of the work of God in the lives of Corinthians. So just like you guys saw your colony in Corinth get built, 
you know, a few decades ago and seeing how beautiful and magnificent it is today, he said it required chief builders and architects. And likewise, in same fashion, because remember, he's struggling with their carnality. You know, we got we to gotta build and invest in your life. You got to mature and grow. You know, he preached Christ and, and him crucified in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. That he laid the foundation for the church to build on, to grow. And so that is what, when you and I look at our lives, you're thinking, okay, when did I come to Christ? How have I matured? How have I grown? The Expositories Bible Commentary says the Christian workers bring to it their labor and the spiritual materials they use to build the church upon Jesus Christ. At the end, that is the second coming of Christ, the payday comes when the right kind of work will be rewarded and the wrong kind will be destroyed. Ah, so the question is, my friends, Are you living your life as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a skilled master builder? Because when that day comes, payday comes. When Christ comes, he says, I have my reward at hand. Now, I want to say something specific back to our studies in 1 Thessalonians, specifically in chapter 4 and 5. If you missed that, you can go back wherever you get your podcasts and check those out. But I believe our reward in hand comes at the judgment seat of Christ which is after the rapture, not at the second coming of Christ. Now, for no one can lay a foundation, he says now in verse 11, other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So again, going back to what when Paul says in verse 10, I laid a foundation. Well, no one can lay a foundation other than which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what Paul was just saying is I am laying down, if you will, what Christ has done for us. And it seems that Paul's applying a portion of Proverbs 8, verse 30, where it says, then I was beside him like a master workman. And so in the context here, Jesus is, capital W, wisdom. We cannot build anything that will last if it isn't built on the truth and wisdom and power and authority of Jesus Christ, amen? In Acts 4, 11, Peter preached This Jesus is the stone that was rejected to you or by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone and there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So later Paul will write in this letter to the Ephesians in chapter two, verse 20, as I mentioned earlier, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So now what's important now as we transition to verses 12 and 13, notice what Paul says now. He says, now, okay, so everything he just said, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And then verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There's a lot of confusion around this particular passage in verses 12 through 15. So if I may, let me just unpack it so we can kind of get a good sense and then apply it to your life today, my friends, and say, how am I being a skilled master builder 
How am I making sure that I'm building on the foundation that is Jesus Christ with gold, silver, precious stones? It has nothing to do with prosperity doctrine. It has nothing to do with about your tangible assets that you have in this world. What it has to do with is that you are believing, exhorting, and defending, and living out the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ. That you're not doing things selfishly, that you're not causing strife, that you're not a backbiter, that you're not going back to the old self, but you are being renewed day by day and the likeness of Christ, that is building on the foundation, which is gold, silver, precious stones. Now the wood, hay, stubble is not. That's when we do things in the flesh. That's when we are trying to build something that's not sustainable. Remember, this goes back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. What foundation? Sand or rock? So when the storms come, we know which one's going to stand. So if you look at your ministry right now, and I've looked at the ministry God called me to do, and there's times I've done it in the flesh. I was building wood, hay, stubble. It didn't, it didn't last. And even my pride, I'd blame other people for it. And it's like, Jason, you know better. Shame on you. Don't be like that. God gets all the honor, respect. He's the one that we revere. He's the one that we worship. Not my legacy. Not my name. A lot of times people say, I have my name on that. So they expect it to be excellent. No, no. You're building something on the foundation of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us and rose again on the third day. You're a servant. So we respect that. And, and, and if you don't want to do it, God can bring somebody else a different name and a more humbled name. Amen? So in the ancient world, houses, remember, they're made with mud and straw. And of course, the temples were made with durable and fine quality material. And already, as I alluded to, Paul is using the word skilled master builder as one who built the temple, the tabernacle, excuse me. So what Paul is doing here is he's carrying on with that imagery with that, with that notion of saying, listen, I don't want you guys to be a follower of Jesus Christ who's just building up these little huts. I want you guys to think of yourself as, again, building with good quality material that speaks of the kind of work that you're doing unto the Lord. Of course, wood, hay, and straw are perishable, right? He's like, so we're not building something on the foundation of Christ that's perishable. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Christ rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And then later we see in verses 50 and following that the incorruptible will take on, or the corruptible will take on incorruptibility and the perishable imperishability. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're to be investing in the lives of other people that can't be quickly destroyed. Gold, silver, and precious stones, they're durable. And they represent the building of the church on sound doctrine that will last, that will stand the test of time, that will, that will, resist the, the, the purification of fire at the judgment seat of Christ. So when Paul speaks to the day when every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an account at that day. We're going to give an account of how we steward the gifts that he gave us. Second Corinthians 5 verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And we're told by Paul that this will be revealed by fire. Thinking, what does that mean? Well, this is not to be mistaken with the lake of fire that's mentioned in Revelation 20, verse 10. That is for the second death of people that rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ were not written in the book of life. That is not our place. They will be judged and sent to the lake of fire. Praise God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Where Expository's Bible commentary says the fire is the fire of God's judgment. Fire in scripture is used figuratively in two ways. One, as a purifying agent, 
We see in Matthew 3.11, Mark 9.49, and as that which consumes, Matthew 3.12, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8, and Hebrews 12.29. So it is a fitting symbol here for God's judgment as he tests the quality of the Christian's work. So here's the thing that we have to understand. Although Paul doesn't mention the kind of quality of of, of this Christian where, you know, more specifically, I should say, doesn't mention the rewards that they will receive that day exactly. The key thing that we have to focus in on here, though, however, is that he's describing this particular event where God will praise us for our good deeds and service to him. And that's what we're going to see in the next chapter over. So just as an architect would receive his payment or just as a farmer will receive his reward of the harvest at the completion of the, the, the harvest or the completion of the project, that is important for us as Christians to know because we will receive our rewards at the end of our life, at the judgment seat of Christ. And I believe that will be at the rapture when he takes us and we'll be in our resurrected bodies. Now there will be works that we did on earth that will be burned up. They're not going to last at the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus will not repay us for our, our inept or rebellious or unwise building. Well, what about this? You know, it's not like we're going to sit there and argue with him. We will accept it. Okay, we will, we will accept the loss of rewards, not the loss of salvation. Though there might be loss of rewards, it's important for us to understand that, my friends. There's, that does not mean loss of salvation. You're not a lesser than Christian. You are a child of God. We will fail in our efforts for God. We will do things in the flesh. We will do things in recognition of man and not for the Lord. But guess what? We have eternal protection from our Savior. And in closing, I want to read you, and I mentioned this in the last previous podcast from a book that Woodrow Kroll wrote called Facing Your Final Job Review. And one of the subtitles here is Enjoying God's Judgment. And he says this, in regards to the judgment seat of Christ. He says, the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is to discern the validity of our life of service to God. For no one is a better position to do that than God himself. His judgment will be fair and balanced. His judgment will be right. For this reason, if you live rightly before God in the world, you should not fear the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, you should approach God's justice and his judgment with longing. This will be a great day for all who are unjustly judged today. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for judgment, mishpat, is not always used to convey condemnation. Sometimes it is used in the sense of justice. For example, Psalm 37 offers encouraging admonitions and precious promises. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Too often, that's where we stop. One verse too soon. The next verse says, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Verse six. The word translated justice is mishpat. The thought here is exactly the same as the judgment seat of Christ. God rewards those committed to him. But sometimes we have to wait for noonday when he will make all things right. And then he goes on to say, if you feel you've, you've ever been judged unjustly, you'll enjoy God's judgment. 
If you want rewards that come only from acceptable service, you'll enjoy God's judgment. If you don't trust how others judge you or how you judge yourself, you'll enjoy God's judgment. The judgment seat of Christ levels the playing field, and that may never have been the case before. God judges the righteousness and with truth, and that's a cause for rejoicing. So my friends, I hope when we have looked at this context and kind of read a piece from the book, Facing Your Final uh, Job Review, that this would put your life into greater eternal perspective. And that is, what are you building off of? Yourself or the foundation which is Christ? And as you're building, are you a skilled master builder? Are you taking great care and attentiveness? And this is convicting for me. This is something that I have to be looking at and saying that you don't want to just get in the zone and do the things that you think God has called you to do. And, and afterward, you hope God will bless or you, you're kind of demanding that he'll bless. Or, Lord, I'll serve you and do all the stuff if you do this for me. And it's about you. Or are you humbly serving him? Are you using your gifts? Are you holding fast to his word? Are you loving his people? Are you becoming more like Jesus Christ? Walking as he walked, walking in step of the Holy Spirit and clothing yourselves, as the Bible says, with humility and putting on Christ Jesus so you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And when that day comes, and that's something I pray will motivate you as it certainly does me, the day will come, Lord, how I live my life today, how I look back at my life yesterday, and how I anticipate and look forward for tomorrow. God, I want to serve you in all of these capacities. And I pray that's true for you, my friends. So again, I hope and pray this has been not just a time of emboldenment for you, but a time of equipping so that you can go forth and you can engage other people with the truth of Jesus Christ. So thank you guys for tuning in. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. 